0: Welcome to We Got Goals, a podcast by AsweatLife.com, on which we talk to high achievers about their goals. Today, with me on the podcast, I have Jake Bullock, who is founder, co founder, I should say, and CEO of Can, which is a cannabis infused beverage. We love it over here at AsweatLife. Jake, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you for having me. Excited to be here.
0: Um, we at A Sweat Life love can. I, I know that we all have our own um, favorites uh, for flavors, but what which flavor are you loving right now before we jump into what can is?
1: Yeah, I bounce around a lot. Um, it's just starting to get into the fall, and so I tend to like the blood orange cardamom. Something about it, it's like a little bit spicier, it's juicy, um, it's nice sort of for those last last few weeks of summer and, and starting to get mentally prepared for, for the fall.
0: yeah. Right now, I am loving the lavender lemonade. Um, Ah, That's my favorite. It it just feels like a bedtime drink. Um, Still hanging on to summer over here in Chicago. We hang on until the very last second. Yes. So, Jake, before I ask you all of the questions in the world about you and your goals, uh, can you tell us a bit about CAN?
1: Yes. Um, So, CAN, we have a range of microdose cannabis beverage products. Um, By microdose, I mean really, really low amount of THC. Uh, so, in our core products, we've got two milligrams of THC. We also have the high boys, which have five milligrams, so it's two and a half times stronger, but you know for people that have more of a cannabis tolerance with both those products, the idea though, is you drink a number of them, like just like you drink a number of glasses of wine or or light beers um, in one setting. And so because of that, it's more social. It integrates really well with alcohol. but you don't have the hangover the next day. You don't have all the emotional regret. Um it really is a better for you way uh, to socialize. Um, and we're seeing consumers, you know, in all the markets where we're available, uh, trade some of their alcohol—not all of it. People still drink alcohol, right? Um, but some of their alcohol for can and have just as much fun uh, while socializing, but feel so much better the next day.
0: And correct me if I'm wrong here. Can also has a little bit of CBD in the beverage as well, right? It
1: does. Yeah, we do. So um, we like CBD in conjunction with THC. We like to joke that they're buds and they have more fun when they're together. Um, there's something about the interaction of the two that really allows you to get the full benefits of both. So you get the sort of anti-anxiety, anti-inflammatory benefits, the, the sort of feel physically good effects of CBD. Um, and then you also get this euphoric and uplifting effects of THC without the paranoia and, and some of the anxiety um, that, that the CBD really sort of rounds out the experience. It makes it more mild. Um, and, and often, you know, folks report that that, that experience, allows them to be more themselves, socialize more on their own terms. Whereas, you know, alcohol, it's sort of like, how do I, how do I make myself a little bit different in order to socialize, um, which, which we really like.
0: I love that. Um, so I have to tell you my own, my own sort of experience with can and, and just with cannabis in general, mom, if you're listening, just plug your ears. Um, when when I first, I mean, when I smoked weed for the first time, hello, podcast listeners. Um, I, I was in high school and I did not know what I was doing. And I got very paranoid. And the only thing I could think of was how I was disappointing my parents. Mm. <laughs> and that was like the tailspin in my head. And I carried that until adulthood. I was like, uh, not for me. I'm just going to tailspin and think about how my mom is disappointed. In me. Right. So, so at the age, I'm 35 now. So at the age of and that's a wild thing to hold on to, anyway. We could unpack that later. Um, but at the age of thirty-five, I walked into my first um, dispensary um, and bought can because the packaging is beautiful. It is consumable in a way that I'm comfortable with, and it had the CBD in it. I didn't spin out, uh, and I have been sleeping wonderfully um, ever since starting to add can into my evening routines. So that's my story with your there brand. There you
1: go. That's great to hear. And and what's great about can is. You could actually bring that home to mom, and she would probably love it. And we hear this all the time from consumers: "Like ah, oh, my parents, you know, were not on board with cannabis. Uh, could never imagine them consuming a cannabis product until I brought them can because it doesn't feel the same. You know, it doesn't sort of live in that that old legacy space of of the smell of cannabis and the smoking and some of the really bad stereotypes that aren't aren't actually true, right? When we dig into it, but that people hold on to." Um, We're kind of hoping to disrupt that and and provide folks with a a product that feels mainstream and and approachable.
0: Yeah. And my parents did love it, actually. So thanks for asking. There you go. (laughs) So, okay, before we jump in, I'd love to hear the story of here you are today. You're co-founder of this incredible company. You're going state by state, license, (laughs) um, legal approval by legal approval. But talk me through what led you to say, like, we're going to put cannabis in a can
1: and then call it can right? It's a little bit on the nose. Yeah, it was funny. So I had grown up in Colorado. Obviously Colorado was the first state to put put forward a legal recreational cannabis program. And it was always interesting to me having, having grown up there. I followed it as it was happening, the types of products, um, you know, seemed more suited to an illicit legacy market, right? So you had these like little things that were easy to move around and you could make in your kitchen, like chocolates or gummies. Mm -hmm. Um, And often, you know, the, the canvas was sprayed on or added in some, some sort of like kitchen style um, uh, baking or or cooking process. Uh, You know, it doesn't make a ton of sense if you're a consumer of like uh, um, these types of products sort of like, well, well, I guess I'm, I'm an adult. I don't really know. I want to be like sneaking these Sour Patch Kids in my pocket, you know, out to, to parties, um, to give to friends. And so that kind of planted a seed in my brain, uh, maybe there's a better way to consume these products, uh, to consume cannabis, which I kind of, you know, had known there was this really interesting opportunity because, um, you know, of all the benefits of it and, and, and also very, very kind of important responsibility because of you know, the anxiety and paranoia that you mentioned, and I've experienced, and then many others have, you know, that bad pop brownie experience in college will set people off of cannabis forever. And so, wasn't until I got to California business school where I started thinking about um, this more seriously when California passed its adult um, use program. And obviously, California had, had a pretty open medical market for a long period of time. And so people kind of knew what they wanted from a cannabis standpoint. It was pretty easy to get. And um, access was, was much more open than any other state. Uh, and as a result of that, I think a lot of the products looked like products that were in the medical market. So some of the beverages that were on the market um, or in early days were 100 milligrams THC uh, 90, 40. And it's sort of like, I can't even do 10 in a beverage. Um, and so the idea was what if we could figure out a way to bring the dosing way down, something's really low, uh, make the product taste great. So none of that grassy kind of oily type feel that you might get from, from the raw cannabis distillate, um, and, and really create a brand that stands for something, uh, that consumers would purchase and, and, and feel connected to. Uh, and, and so those were sort of the, the big questions we had to go solve and we went out to see if we could do it. Um, and when we first started, started formulating and testing with consumers, it became clear that this was exactly what they wanted. They didn't want you know, some sort of CBD-only beverage. It was unclear exactly what it was doing. They didn't want 100 or even 10 milligram THC beverage that would make them anxious or paranoid. They wanted a microdose of THC um, in a delicious beverage that looked attractive and they could bring anywhere. And they could drink alongside their friends drinking alcohol and feel like they were socializing together. And that was really the key breakthrough.
0: Yeah, I know out here in the market, we appreciate it. And Marie on our team is heavy into the into the cannabis scene, scene, and she always talks about how gummies are overdosed, um, and it's just not how people eat. You know, you don't eat a gummy, you eat a packet of gummies.
1: It's like, um, we joke, uh, the equivalent would be going into a bar and drinking all the alcohol you're going to drink that night in the first 10 minutes and just being like, Let's see what happens. Like I had, you know, five shots. It just doesn't make any sense. Like the whole fun of these things is to capture that feeling of sort of adding the buzz, sort of growing the buzz, and 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 you almost want to maintain that 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 lower feeling. It's sort of like yeah, once you're you know wasted drunk, you go home. Um, and 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 with cannabis, people were just getting to that point, and it's like that was the goal. So it's like doesn't really make a bunch of sense. Um, and so trying to mirror how we consume alcohol in a lot of ways was how we thought about getting the average person that's walking down the street that doesn't really know that much about cannabis or hasn't tried it or had a bad experience. How do we get them back into the industry?
0: Yeah. Um, you're describing, I think a long Island iced tea. I'm pretty sure. Um, yes. we let's talk while we're on the, the subject of alcohol. Let's talk about hangovers. Uh, I know part of your founder story was rough hangovers. Um, I, I can't hang with alcohol anymore either. Talk to me about hangovers and why yeah. you have to end them.
1: It's so funny because, uh, you know, my co-founder, Luke, and I talk about this all the time. We actually met 10 years ago. We started uh, work on the same day at a management consulting firm in San Francisco. And so much of our social life and so much of what it meant to be sort of young in your 20s in a big city uh, was alcohol. It was, oh, we're going to drink on Thursday night. We're going to drink on Friday night. We'll come over and drink on Saturday. Like, let's go out of town and drink. And it was all sort of driven by these like alcohol-fueled adventures in lots of ways. Mm-hmm. It could be as you know small as a night out on the town as to a long weekend somewhere. And uh, but drinking was the common thread. It's what sort of we all agreed we were going to do. And then our behavior was going to change as a result of that. Um, Great. That's fine when you're 25. Uh, As we got older, uh, our hangovers started getting absolutely debilitated. And we aren't the type of people that like we wanted to get up the next day and like go for a run or exercise or do something athletic or fitnessy um, you know, we cared about what we put in our bodies. We were like very mindful of those things. Like we're the people that are turning product being like, Oh, is there anything Mm -hmm. artificial in this? Or, um, you know, looking at, 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 at various, um, macronutrients to understand like what that tech that that has on our body. Um, and then here, you know, fast forward to the evenings, we're basically poisoning our liver and then recovering from that, that poison. It's like kind of incongruent. Um, and it became more and more of a problem as we got older, we got into our thirties and said, like, we just can't continue to behave this way. But what was interesting is the social pressure didn't change. Like that's still how people socialize. It's like, um, let's come, come out, come over for drinks, come do this and let's drink alcohol. And, and so that structure was so built around alcohol that for us, it was like a question of, well, do we just be less fun? Do we socialize less? Is that the right answer? And that didn't feel right to us either. And we really had to figure out like, okay, how do we find balance in this world where physically we can't socialize at the same level, but you know, psychologically, socially, emotionally, we want to, um, what do we do?
0: Yeah, I, I think you solved it. <laughs> I think you solved it.
1: We hope so. We hope so. I mean, it's, it's definitely a step in the right direction. Let's give consumers more options. It's like, we'll, we'll make the decision. Maybe I have, instead of having five beers, I'll have two and a couple can. And then that next day I feel great. Um, those types of things have a big impact.
0: Yeah. Um, and before we jump in one more thing, before we jump into the big questions, I know can is a leader in the, in the cannabis space, uh, especially in recreational cannabis. Um, obviously there's a big push for social equity in this space too, especially as we see thousands, millions of prisoners behind bars, um, for cannabis related drug charges. Can you talk through, um, uh, the work you've done there as well?
1: Yeah, definitely. So, uh, it's really important. Luke and I talk about this a lot. Like we're both white men, um, we're a white founded company. Uh, many of our investors are white men as well. And like, how do we exist in this space, which is so clearly built on the shoulders of black and brown people that have uh, many of which have um, lost their lives or gone are still imprisoned, um, gone to prison because of doing the exact thing that we're doing. Um, And like, how do we, how do we think about that in context? And so I can, what we do is is a number of things like starts at home. It starts in the company. What can we do the most tactically every day is like, our hiring practices. Like who are we who are we building um this team with? Uh, and so these are metrics we track. We track um top of the funnel, um representation across a number of, of metrics, including um people of color. And uh, we track that through the entire hiring process. And the idea is that like if we are really unbiased and in interrogating our systems and processes, like we start with an overrepresented top of the pool, like we will continue to um, build a team that that is diverse in the way we want it to be um, the next sort of level from there is like, who are we making wealthy in with our decisions? Our investors, our partners, are we asking them questions? And we're one of the first, um, brands in, 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 the space to really go to our investors and say, well, why don't you have any black partners? Like that doesn't make any sense. Or like, how, tell them, tell us about the, the, the companies that you founded that are black owned. Um, you know, they haven't even asked those questions. And so that's mm-hmm. like a, that's, that's like just the very beginning of that process. When we work with partners, like, we're really proud to say that we're in 95% of the black-owned dispensaries in California. That's a metric we want to hit uh, 100% in all of our markets. Um, and then the final one is really about that universe. You know, we can't directly touch it all the time, but we can do a lot to amplify using our platform to amplify those stories. Um, uh, and, and we can donate, right? We can we can get resources um, to the people that are doing this work already and know what they're doing. Uh, and so, some of that passing the microphone, some of that uh, making sure that the the, the resources, the, the time, the, the capital gets into the hands of people that do this social justice work every day is really important to us. And again, something we track. We've got an internal task force. Um, our we call Black Lives they Can meets um, on a regular basis and, and tracks us on these things. Because if it if you don't track it as a business, um, nothing will happen. And so it's, mm-hmm. it's that's sort of our approach. And um, uh, you know, we, there's a lot we still have to do. We are very focused on it. We want to, you know, in, in many ways, model how this could work for other cannabis brands um, and and hope that that sort of we can start a real snowball effect.
0: Yeah, that's important and incredible. And, and we'll link to, I'm sure you've talked about it on your social pages and on LinkedIn too. So we'll we'll link to it in the show notes too, so you can get more information if you are right. listening to this podcast. All right, let's jump into your goals. Thanks for sharing that uh, and answering that question. All right, Jake. Talk to me about a big goal that you've set and accomplished, and why it was important to you, and how you got there. It's three questions in one, but let's do it.
1: All right. Yeah. Great. Um, so my favorite, my favorite recent goal to talk about um, is is starting a company. So when I got, to, when I applied to Stanford Business School, um, as part of the application, they asked you sort of like, why do you want an MBA? Like, what is what is the point of this application? <laughs> um, fairly reasonable question. And, uh, you know, not fully appreciating the magnitude of the sentence you were allowed one sentence. Um, I wrote, um, I wanted to get an MBA so I could, you know, leave finance and start a cannabis company. Um, And actually at the time I said in Colorado, it just was not legal in California. Um and uh obviously that changed when I got to school in California and, and sort of shifted a little bit there. But what was interesting about that is I sort of manifested it in some ways in this application. And um uh that's was the starting point. And and because and maybe because I wrote it down, maybe because I was thinking about it a lot when I made that decision as part of applying, like what do I put here? Um, like I always felt in, in, in filling out these applications the best answer is the one that's like true, like most true mm-hmm. to you. So I spent a lot of time thinking about that. It's like, yes, that's what I really want to do. But a lot of it was also how do I like not so much trap myself into doing it, right? Because there's so much anxiety and fear um, around this decision. Like, how do you decide to make that jump? Especially, you know, i would come from a bunch of different jobs. There's an investment banking analyst. I've worked at management consulting with my co-founder Luke and gone into private equity and 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 done a lot of consumer investing. And like these jobs are, are intense. They're they're very fast paced, really smart people, you're making a lot of money. Um, and that's hard to walk away from. It's hard to it's hard to be like, how am I then going to move to my parents' basement, uh, buy healthcare off the exchange, right? Like start thinking about these things that you know I haven't really thought about in a long time. Like, how do I make ends meet now? You know, all after spending, you know, way too much on business school. Um, so very, very tough sort of uh, decision to, to go down that road. But I think part of it was I knew inside I wanted to do it. And by writing it down, by, like, making that public, by, like, sharing that both with university and also with others, um, it kind of started me on a trajectory that then you could always pull off of, but at least it got the pieces moving. Um, And then in some ways, I was really lucky that I got to go to business school. So I had this, like, two-year period where I really treated it like a laboratory um, where... Uh, I didn't have sort of the societal expectations to have a job and make money. I showed up for class. I like met friends. Um, and then with the rest of the time, I uh, you know, started digging into these big questions of like, well, what is the right product if, uh, for consumers in the cannabis industry? Like, how, how do we think about this? And um, you know, Bain teaches you, well, what about analogs? Are there other analogs? And so, oh, great. There's caffeine. There's alcohol. Those seem kind of like mild intoxicants as well. How do we consume them, interestingly, in, in a beverage? Um, and maybe more importantly, in a microdose, and mm-hmm. so you know, sort of start thinking about it, and a lot of that was intellectual sort of work, like how do I think this through? But it started um continuing to move that ball forward, um and then have hundreds of conversations with people in the industry. Like that's that was the easiest thing, in some ways the hardest, but also the easiest because it's like who doesn't want to talk with a student who's interested in, in learning more about the space that you're in? And then as a student, I can you know, kind of talk to a bunch of people because I have the time, and, and, and having those conversations, you start to realize, oh wow, there's like so much that I don't know okay, how do I start learning this stuff? I don't know. Um, and then that was really the exercise I went on for for sort of the first year of business school. Um, it wasn't until the second year that I actually started making something. And that's really important too. I mean, no matter what I think uh, business you want to go into, there's ultimately some sort of product or service like, that you will be selling. And so go, go make it, go, go do it. Um, and for me, that was Force carbonating uh, flavored beverage in my garage um, with the whole setup and putting it into brown bottles and capping them with crown caps and sending those products out to um, products uh, to uh, classmates to be like, see what you think here. Here's like a 10 question survey, drink six of them or share them or do whatever you want with it. And then answer these questions. And we get all this data back, which is really interesting. Um, And we learned a lot. We learned like, People like lower dose. The thing they're most afraid of is getting too high. It's like, whoa, that's interesting. Now, obviously, it's a certain subset of consumers. But the way Luke and I approached this problem was, let's design something for us. If we love it, then the bet stops being uh, whether people will love this. And it starts being whether there are people like us out there. And I like that bet a lot better. Um, And so we worked really, really hard to find something both of us loved. Uh, And then we played around with flavor a lot, right? One of the things we heard from consumers was... um, I want this to feel adult, right? We're we're moving beyond the the gummy candies and chocolates. Like this should be something that makes me feel a little adventurous. Maybe it reminds me of a cocktail. Maybe it reminds me of, you know, something that I wouldn't give to a child. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that's important because at the end of the day, this is, this is very much a distinctly adult product and it's meant for adult consumption. It's also adults like to feel adventurous when they're trying stuff. And so we learned, you know, consumers will go with you one jump. Uh, You can put cardamom in the product. if, orange is the first thing because they know okay i kind of know what blood orange is going to taste like all right i'll, I'll see what it, what this cardamom thing is all about um and that was really important so we started kind of building and building to the point where we got um to a place where friends would say you have to do this like you have to start this company like we need this to exist um and that type of pressure was really valuable because it kept me thinking at least oh wow like there is something here like we have come up with something the surprise on people's face when they drink it and they were like wow i was expecting that to be much worse. Um, it actually tastes amazing. Those types of things were really helpful. All of that aside, it still was really difficult um, because I think primarily um, in taking a big risk like this, and I think most people that start companies you know, have some some version of this, but the people that are most close to you are often the ones that are most critical, most afraid, uh, least supportive. And it's because the relationship with you is defined based on fear. Like they want they want you to live a low risk life because then that will, you'll be happier. Like I, why would you introduce risk here? Like, um, that like mechanism of control that we try to put on top of, of the people that we love because we don't want them to be unhappy. But what, what I think it misses is that no one really knows what's going on inside your head. No one really knows what will make you happy but yourself. And you have to kind of be that advocate and be willing to take on pretty terrifying short-term, what you hope is short-term pain and anxiety with the bet that like over the long-term that will make you happy and that will be you meaning and purpose in your life. And so um, that's the biggest challenge, at least for me in, in getting this goal uh, across the line was how do I deal with the emotions, uh, not always overt, but, but very clear uh, from the people I love, from my parents, from my boyfriend, from my friends that are saying, uh, I don't know if you should do this or, or what, what's the status of your interviews with private equity firms, right? Like, um, and in little ways, they sort of chip away at your, your, your bold action forward on, on this, um, on this company. And, uh, that's really challenging because you, you want your relationship with those people to be close in these moments. Cause you're like, wow, I'm about to take a big step. I'm take a big risk. Um, and actually they're making it much harder. Uh, what's cool is if you're successful and maybe even if you're not but if you do it if you actually jump and start the company do the thing uh they're the first to come around. They're the first to recognize how well it's going and like, or how how much you're learning or how proud they are of it. For me, I think with my parents, it was them seeing how like engaged I was in a way that I never was in another job. Like it just fully consumed me for better, or for worse. But like, that's what I needed. And they recognized that that's what I needed and it all kind of fell into place. And so um, despite it being hard in the moment, it is it is a thing that resolves the quickest, which is kind of great. Um, and yeah, that's that's really the story.
0: Yeah, I. It's so funny. I, I talk about that same phenomenon, um, the parental guardrail phenomenon. <laughs> the people, right. it, it. I've experienced that too. I, I think everyone has. If you've started a company, I always tell people to tell your parents last. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they'll They'll try to protect you from your bad they idea. Do. They
1: really well. It's funny. Yeah, I, it's I saw a statistic at one point that uh, immigrants are much more likely to start companies in there's all this analysis about why and, um, you know, risk, risk-seeking behavior, et cetera. Um, and I was like, oh, it's clearly because they're farther away from their parents. Like that must be, I, I'm sure that's the, the dominant effect. <laughs>
0: Or yeah, it it could be that. And it could be, I'm here for the American dream. (laughs) Get it, go and get it. So, okay, you're doing all of this. You're in business school. You've got these two years to sort of incubate, try things, um, make the thing. What is happening with Luke in the meantime? Is he also at Stanford with you or what was he doing in the meantime?
1: Luke had already been to business school, sort of um, led the way for me in in that respect. He was was at Harvard Business School, actually when I was in Boston. um, And that worked really well because we we continue to be friends. Mm-hmm. um and actually uh through that whole period i had kind of like been talking to him about this idea that i had so since colorado legalized and what about beverage i think it's beverage uh the the, the industry the systems aren't ready for it yet but when they are it's going to be beverage. like i was convinced that we will all look back in 10 years and be drinking cannabis um instead of anything else and um he didn't really believe me. He was sort of like, eh, I'm kind of like on the alcohol train. That makes more sense to me. And it's true. Like in lots of ways, we are a brand that is inclusive of all other social beverage options. Um, people are not going to stop drinking alcohol. It has just a totally different immediate sort of effect that, that it's going to be really hard to, to overcome. I would argue that, that that effect has a much more significant or sort of diminishing um, return. So like when you start having like three, four, five, six drinks, it's like, eh, it's actually not helping as much but that first drink there's something about the first drink with alcohol you're never really going to compete with and so um you know it took him having really bad hangovers and some time to start saying okay hold on i i agree with you like this is this is clearly the worst thing that i'm doing to my body um and we care so much about all these other bad things that we do our bodies like why are we not talking about this and i think finally was able to get him to start paying attention to it and it was great because he had been he stayed at and company and had been spending a lot of his time working with massive CPG companies trying to get them to act more like startups, um, which is a really, really valuable skill in the context of starting a startup. It's like, have the context of like what does this company look like at the end state? but then how, what are all the things that companies do wrong to prevent themselves from being quick, from innovating? Um, how do we break things down into smaller, smaller chunks so that we can continue to move the ball forward? And that was a really, really valuable skill. So when he was um, kind of at the end of his time at Bay thinking, while I'm ready for a change to do something new. That was right about when I started talking to him saying, Hey, I think I'm going to graduate and do this full time. Like, what do you think? And actually it was funny at one point he got to, he was the one who was saying like, you have to do this. If you don't, I'm just going to go do it, <laughs> which was very <laughs> persuasive.
0: So you convinced him you got him, you got him on board. All right. Let's, let's talk about the future. Um, I'm so excited to hear what can has coming up. Um, so talk to us about a big goal that you're setting for the future I also want to know how you're planning to set it because it sounds like writing things down and saying them aloud is is really impactful for you. And how are you going to get there?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. So you know, the once we launched the company and like that was a big thing, like getting the product to market. Until we actually had something on shelves, it didn't feel real, and that's a weird thing. I think for anyone that has some sort of product company, um, you're working so hard. Often the hardest you'll work before the product even exists but like nothing to show for it. Yeah. And so that was a really important moment for us. That was like kind of like, okay, let's turn the page. And as it was doing really well, we had to kind of think about, well, what, what are we building? Here? Like, what is this? Cause initially it was like um, making cannabis more mainstream, right? Like how do we create this product that's going to bring a plant that we know can have a huge impact on people and their lives, particularly their social lives uh, to the people that are maybe the most resistant to it. And we had this product that was going to do that. Very quickly, it became clear that what we wanted to build uh, is a social beverage company, where the goal is to change how people socialize, Um, and that was really the again to your point about writing things down. We wrote it up on a big whiteboard. So, like, what is our main thing? Um, We learned this from the founders of the Innocent company: keep the main thing, the main thing. You have to focus as 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 a small startup, and for us, it was like no longer mainstream cannabis. It was social beverage. How do we change the way people socialize? And what's cool about that? Is our product helps with this, but it's only one piece of the whole picture, right? So we have a, a structure all built around alcohol where you go in, uh it's dark, there's loud music, right? Like the whole culture of like the physical spaces that we're in and when we consume alcohol and how we do that is built around characteristics of alcohol, right? Kind of obscuring your vision of 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 um sort of people talk a lot about alcohol being a social lubricant. I like to think about it as, as it sort of moves you socially into a new place that you're a little bit detached from who you really are or want to be. And that plays really well to a dark cloud bar. You can't really talk. You can't really hear. You can't really see it's like, hold on. This is all like very disorienting um, and probably not right for how you want to interact or meet a new person or spend time with a person that you already know and care about. Um, so how do social spaces change? What does that look like? Right, We unfortunately have been delayed. And I think, uh, What we would have seen over the last year in on-premise consumption of cannabis products, um, you know, in a number of states, but particularly we're focused in 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 California uh, because of the pandemic. And hopefully, you know, over the next few months, we'll start to see some of those um, get up and running. But they're going to look very different than than sort of your loud, crowded, dark bar, Um, and they should. And that's really something that's really interesting to us. Like, how do we help? um, work with the people that are in hospitality and in these physical spaces coming up with really cool concepts, um, to in- integrate our products to help move that along. Right. Um, regulation is always a big topic in the industry. And one of the things we were wrestling with as a company is like, how involved are we in shaping these regulations? Like at the end of the day, we are creating the safest products, cannabis products on the market. They're the lowest dose, uh, you actually have to physically drink a decent amount of liquid to get that dose. So it's like, in some ways it's like, even, and um, uh, it has like an additional protection against consuming too much. Um, and you know, the amount you basically have to chug a six pack in, in an hour to have, uh, you know, a, a negative impact. And that's still probably the same as if you just took a gun. Right. So we really are talking about how do we as a brand talk to regulators, talk to policymakers about, how they should have a vested interest in beverage because they're the safest, particularly those microdose beverages, right? And what starts to happen to society when that's the case, when people are drinking less alcohol, right? We talked a lot about, um, all the abuse, whether it's physical abuse, child abuse, violence in the home, um, drunk driving, there are all sorts of things, suicides that are related to alcohol. The cannabis has either none or much, much better, um, uh, indications around, so uh, we think there's like a whole societal issue here that can help change the way people socialize, could improve how our cities work, how our social spaces work, how you know that long strip of restaurants and bars is on a you know midnight on a Saturday, we may look very very different, right? If we've cannabis beverages as an option for folks, um, we're a long way away from that, but that is the big next goal. That's how we think about all of the products we put into market. You know, are we advancing this this idea of making our social lives? a little bit more authentic, a little bit more ourselves, having a little bit more control um, about our interactions with others, being more true to our own preferences. Um, and it starts with our product, which is great. It's, like a, it's a launching off point for us. Um, and then there's all these other really cool things going on around us that we can engage with and work on. Um, one example is we, we do a number of private events where we can have cannabis products and alcohol products alongside each other, um, for free for, for, for folks in in someone's home or a wedding. We've seen these kind of pop up as we've been on the market over the last couple of years. And it's incredible. Like people have such positive experiences. They feel so much better the next day. They have just as much, if not more fun the night of, um, and, and to see these events where you have alcohol and cannabis products alongside each other is pretty incredible. Um, the key to it is you don't have too much alcohol and you don't have too much THC. Uh, see. <laughs> so our products work great for that. Um, but, uh, you know, alcohol is still the most dangerous part of that equation. Um, but we're starting to see little glimmers of what the future could look like. Um, and that's really exciting.
0: Oh, that's exciting. Um, I'm I'm picturing like... An adult play i think of like the bar that should have been designed for me as someone who is in my 30s um where it's like the music's you know an appropriate volume
1: <laughs> right.
0: and i i can see and talk to my friends um and i'm i have my wits about me like i'm picturing that experience um and i would be so delighted to see that come to so i better. can't wait yeah i can't wait um i was hoping you were gonna say something was open because i'll be i'll be in um, in Napa in the next week. So I was hoping that I could experience it for myself, but
1: unfortunately not, but but sooner rather than later, we're hoping.
0: COVID just slowed us all down, but I, I can't wait to see that come to life. And w- so what like what's what's the experience that you want to get out of it? Is it what I just described? What are you what is your night out gonna look
1: like? Yeah, it's not that far off from what you're describing. I think it's funny, as I've um you know been Involved in this company over the last few years, uh, we'll have a handful of events, and I'm always very cautious about what I'm drinking, mostly because I'm, I'm, I'm interested in how people perceive me at these events, right? Um, but there's a balance. Like I think what's so great about what we're doing is we're providing an option, another option. We think a better option, um, but mm-hmm. that doesn't mean like our best consumers uh, start out as really big alcohol drinkers, and they end up as still kind of more than average alcohol drinkers, but that gap is actually really big. And so, um, the idea of having a couple of beers and a couple of cans is exactly like, that's like my perfect thought. It's like listening to your body and saying, what do I need right now? Okay. Maybe what I need is an immediate, like lowering of my cortisol. That's alcohol is going to do that really, really well. But for me, it's like, what maybe I need a little bit later on in that evening is to calm down the inside of my brain so I can meet people where they are and have an actual conversation with them. Ask interesting questions. listen interact. Um that's really hard to do with alcohol, I think I find at least for me. And so um that balance, thinking about like what you need in any given moment um and being able to choose that and feel like you're in control is really exciting. And maybe the next thing I need is like neither alcohol nor can. And maybe you know we have a product called in Spike which we've just launched but it's it's exactly the same can flavors but no THC or CBD. We've been able to share it with so many more people obviously because we can send it across the country. Um, but maybe I need that. Maybe I just need like a quick break. Um, and, and then I'll be back on on, on something else. Uh, I think that that intentionality, that control for me is what's most exciting about how things will change. And then it's interesting, because I think those folks, once they have the option, will select the environments that suit them best, as opposed to what happens right now is like, we actually are forced into an environment we don't really like, and then we use alcohol to sort of cope with it. Um, and, and then everyone's losing in that scenario.
0: Yep. Uh, we were able to give out unspiked at our recent event hosted over the summer called sweat working week and people, we had such great feedback. People loved it. It was delightful. So oh, thank amazing. you for that. Yes, of
1: course. Um,
0: Which, which makes me think back to Gen Z, Gen Z we're, we're seeing they're drinking less alcohol overall. So it's, you're building not only are you building a product for folks who don't want to have hangovers, you're building a product for the next generation. Um, yes. are, are you seeing folks talking about that in that generation too?
1: Definitely we are. It's funny because, so at least we're start, we saw this trend happen with millennials, particularly some of the younger millennials. It's already it was already playing out in some ways. Gen Z has like taken it to another level. You know, some of the Gen Z we are not our customers and will not be until they turn twenty one. Um, but the ones that are, we're seeing it as well, and that's really interesting. And a lot of them, especially in California have grown up in t- their entire lives in a pretty open legal cannabis environment, now, obviously medical, but that has had an impact. Like, it, it's amazing. Talk to a 16 year old in California. They know more about cannabis than anyone else in any other state. So you start to see like, what does a smarter, um, you know, w- world look like? Now, obviously I think we would, we would prefer that nobody under 21 like develop your brain fully before having cannabis problems. Yep. That's really important. And alcohol as well. Um, but, but I think we, we focus very clearly on that because, Um, uh, you, it's, it is the one thing that's a little bit scary, um, in some of the medical data we're going to learn more and there's only been a handful of studies, but I think that like develop your brain, um, but then have the option, have the option. Don't be forced into this, like, you know, binge drinking alcohol culture that so many of us, at least the, the prior generations have gone through. We're starting to see that consciousness come from the Gen Z that I just don't think wasn't there uh, before, which is which is really exciting and also like encouraging for that generation. Um, interestingly, as well, we do see declining alcohol consumption rates at another demographic, which is much, much older. So this is usually not uh, by choice. It's usually because a doctor is saying something like, you really need to stop drinking alcohol. Um, you maybe have some sort of medical issue um, or, uh, you know, as you get in, in older and older in life there, the doctor will tend to, to recommend um, some lifestyle changes to help you live longer. And that's been really interesting for us. Like at one point, I'm like, are we building like a, a grandparents brand here? Like some of our best uh, accounts are in the snowboard, snowboard places in California, like, like Palm Springs. And it's older people that are basically saying like, yeah, I like, love having something cold in my hand that gives me a buzz, but I don't need to be drinking as much alcohol as I was drinking when I was younger. And so it's happening in all of these places. The frustration with alcohol is pretty uni- universal. Um, and, and we're sort of playing into that and you're seeing other brands doing it as well with no ABV products. Um, A lot of them don't give you the buzz though. And that's, that's what people really want. And so I think we're, we're on the very beginning of a new era of beverages that don't have alcohol, but do have a buzz. And that's really kind of the key thing that that we were able to figure out with, with, with cannabis.
0: I love it. Jake, I could talk to you all day and I get the sense that you could talk all day too, that you have a lot of excitement around can and cannabis. Um, but I, I won't keep you Alas, I have one last question. Um, so tell me, uh, we like to know what your self-care routine is or tip that's helping you to stay sane, healthy, or productive in this unusual time in our world.
1: Yeah, it's a great question. So one that's very top of mind, um, I'm like addicted to one drug and that is sleep. Sleep is like the most important thing. I mean, you can control all these other factors pretty, you know, with pretty easy amount of attention, whether it's your diet or hydration, activity levels, right? It can be hard sometimes when you're working a lot, but even just like, I'll take a walking meeting. Great. Like I'm active. Sleep is the one that's like, the more stressed you are, the more your environment whether it's starting a company or, or being in the middle of one there's crises every day. It's like really, really hard for me to turn off my brain and involve asleep. And so there's a ton of really interesting things out there. that people have tried, I've tried a number of them, but the one that I'm most excited about right now is we think a lot about sleep being impacted by light. And so our circadian rhythm and these things, and that's very adaptive and makes sense sound as well. Like you're sleeping in a cave. There's a lot of time. You should probably wake up to protect yourself. Um, and so we can control for those, but what people don't talk about is temperature. Temperature is also something that is very deeply embedded into our brains. Um, we're supposed to sleep when it's dark, when it's quiet and it's cold. Um, and that's kind of controversial because some people are run hot, some people run cold. There's like all sorts of different body temperatures, right? Natural settings. Um, but it's more about how you sleep relative to that, right? And so I've been playing around with this—a really cool mattress cover that goes over my bed, and I can control the temperature on both sides. Um, and, and for me, I make myself much colder uh, in the beginning of the night, help me fall asleep and stay asleep, and then I sort of slowly warm up through 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 the, through the evening. And I track this stuff with Woop, um, and which is fantastic for for understanding changes as I've introduced different things, um, whether they're sort of external environmental things or or, or different like supplements. Or, diet changes. Um, and I'm having record, uh, number of, of sort of REM restorative sleep, um, relative to, to the baseline before, from just keeping my mattress cold, which is pretty amazing Um, and allows me to do something like sleep instead of sleeping, you know, what I'm before I'd have to sleep nine hours to get that same amount of, of, of restorative sleep, I can sleep seven um, or seven and a half. And that's actually really, really helpful. Um, And uh, something I'd highly recommend to folks that are either really stressed out, have trouble sleeping, only can get a certain amount of sleep, might as well make it count.
0: Yeah. Is that, is that mattress cover called chili sleep?
1: So Chili Sleep is one that does it. There's also one called Aid Sleep. Um, and, and I think they're both great products.
0: Mm-hmm. I, I honestly I cannot cannot vouch for this enough. Um, I actually, if I can't fall asleep, I'll put an ice pack behind my knees and I'm like out. Um, I recently put Chili Sleep on my own holiday gift list
1: there you <laughs> in go. hopes
0: that my husband will get it for me. Um, yes, you'll love it. I can't wait. Jake, this was incredible. Before we wrap up, is there anything else you want folks to know about Can, about you, about your goals?
1: We covered a lot. I would just say if you're out there listening to this and thinking, hey, should I start a company? That sounds kind of cool. Like do it. It's, it's the most rewarding thing um, you'll do in your life, even if it fails miserably in three months, six months, give it at six months at least. But um, I highly recommend
0: give it a go and uh, check out can you can find the states where they are sold and the dispensaries where they are sold as well on their website we will link to that in the show notes as well thank you jake
1: great yes thank you so much
0: this has been another episode of we got goals which is a sweatlife.com production thanks to you our dear listener to ryan Deffitt for audio production and to ryan Barayuga for video